That smooth Christian jazz you're hearing means you've tuned in to Same Old Song, the lectionary podcast of Mockingbird Ministries. I'm your co-host, Aaron Zimmerman. I'll be joined by Jacob Smith as each week we break down the lectionary readings for the upcoming Sunday to give you something to think about, and if you're a preacher, to give you something to preach about, and no matter who you are, to give you a connection to the never-changing message of God's grace for actual people like you. Unzip that monogrammed faux leather Bible carrying case and cover, pull up a chair, and let's dig in. Okay, we are back, and uh, for another episode of Same Old Song. And so uh, I am uh, Jacob Smith, and it is great to have you. And as always, I'm joined by my compatriot and uh, uh, soldier in arms, uh, Aaron Zimmerman. How are you, Aaron? Uh, I'm doing well, Jake. Uh, it is a Friday here in Waco, Texas. Um, and I am, like many of our listeners, when you listen to this, I have not yet started my sermon for this Sunday. I have thoughts, mm. I've read the texts, but uh, just to say that, uh, listeners, we are fellow, um, you know, preachers in the trenches with you all. So, feeling, you know, a little anxiety. I'm highly caffeinated. I didn't sleep well, but I'll try to uh, to do something helpful here with the with the uh, under. Uh, girding and uh, overwatching uh, power of the Holy Spirit, which is one of the things we'll talk about today. Thank you. Great. The Lord. Yeah, today is today is an interesting day to, uh, that's coming up. Um, we are going to be talking about Trinity Sunday, and uh, this is uh, the one day of the year uh, that is set aside to talk about this uh, mysterious and um, uh, unique doctrine to the Christian faith. Um, uh, it is. It, it can. It, Trinity Sunday can be a bit of an abstraction, and I think sometimes, at least doctrinally speaking, maybe we need more than just one Sunday a year to talk about it. But nonetheless, here we are, and um, this is where we believe and confess as Christians uh, uh, the true faith, to acknowledge the glory of the eternal Trinity, and in the power of your divine majesty, worship the unity. So this is uh, what it's all about. We believe in God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Uh, This is what sets Christians apart from Mormons, uh, from Jehovah Witnesses, um, from Oneness Pentecostals, Muslims, and the whole rest. So um, it is a unique doctrine of God. Aaron, do you have any other thoughts on it? I do, Jake. I have so many thoughts. Uh, I think you're right that it'd be great if uh, there was—I'm glad there is a Sunday called Trinity Sunday, uh, which— you know, could be called Abstract Doctrine Sunday. Also, it's often when the rector gives the associate or assistant rector the chance to preach because there's some sadistic streak in all of us who like to see young people flail in the pulpit trying to explain something incredibly complex. You never did that right. to your to your curate, did you, Jake? Oh no! Shout out to Ben DeHart. He's, yeah, he's done Trinity Sunday for the last six years, so he's actually the expert on the Trinity. <laughs> I'm more way... of a modalist completely yeah. now. Yeah, you're like it's like water or an egg. I it's actually, like da- I just it's like me. I'm a son. I'm a husband, and I'm a dad. Wrong. That's completely wrong. Heresy. Don't ever do that. Don't That's do modalism. That. Yep, modalism. And a also, great, um, 
actually that Lutheran satire page of, uh, you know, with those two Irish guys talking to St. Patrick about it is a really good (laughs) YouTube that Lutheran satire Trinity. Um, and you'll get this great cartoon. Um, and, uh, that's a really good explanation of all the various and sundry heresies that go with the Trinity. It's just simply a mystery. And when we say mystery, we don't mean like in a Scooby-Doo sense. We mean in the ancient Greek sense of revelation. And this is how God reveals himself to you. And it's uh, simply on one level uh, revealed to us and received by faith. Is there something wrong with Scooby-Doo, Jake? Nothing wrong with Scooby-Doo, but Scooby-Doo usually has to figure it out. Jinkies. But uh, in the the biblical sense, this is just the revelation of who God is to you. um, And you as the creature receive it. And I do always, so I have a couple thoughts on Trinity Sunday. If you don't recite the Athanasian Creed in your congregation, I encourage you to at least put it on the, uh, print it in the bulletin or something like that, make it accessible to your people so they can read it. It is in the Book of Common Prayer, and um, there are some churches even today that still recite it on Trinity Sunday. The other thing I would say, good job, Jake. Um, The other thing that I encourage preachers to do is when you're preaching on the Trinity, to, um, to not forget to help people connect why it matters. Um, there's, It's one thing to say this is an important doctrine and then to try to explain it and then say it's important that you believe it and just sit down. I mean, that's you've done half the work. The other half is to say why it matters for you. And I will say this is, if I were to make a prediction in, in the non-liturgical churches, if you don't observe Trinity Sunday, um, if you don't have some way to talk about the Trinity, some some guardrail or discipline in your church structure that makes you sort of bring this up and talk about it, it is likely that most of your uh, church members are uh, Arians, uh, of some, uh, functionally Arian. And the reason I say this, Jake, Jake is laughing, and I love it. I got him. Uh, they did a study, I think it was Gallup or Pew or some church research group, did a study of people who self-identified as evangelical Christians. They asked over a thousand people. I may have ranted about this before because it still kind of gets me steamed, but they asked these folks who they have a high view of scripture. They believe they're born again. um, And they said, true or false, Jesus Christ is the first and greatest being created by God the Father. And 75% of the people said strongly agree. If you include the people who just clicked agree, it's with something like 85% of people. Wow. So the 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 mega church kind of world, um, there's a lot of talk about Jesus. Yes, they believe he saved us. They believe in God the Father. They believe the Holy Spirit is a real thing. But they don't have a good understanding of the Trinity. It very much is like God the Father is the real God. God the Son is like the helper God, the executive vice president. And then the Holy Spirit, nobody knows what that is. It's just sort of, uh, you know, it's it's Casper the Ghost or something like that. It's the feelings. And, and so there's, uh, so have your people read the creed, preach on the Trinity. And if you can say nothing else, tell them that the Holy Spirit is fully God. Tell them that Jesus Christ is fully God and God the Father is fully God and no None of them existed before the other. They are, they have always existed. Um, and if, because again, the problem with the egg analogy is that a yolk is not an egg, a shell mm. is not an egg, the white is not an egg. Yeah. But we believe so. It's not just three different parts of one whole thing. Um, right. The 
the Son is fully God. The Father is mm. fully God, and the Spirit is fully God. Yet we don't believe in three gods. So this is why they had to invent a new word, Trinity. There's there's no analogy that gets at this. Yeah, and you see, and you see, um, although while the Trinity is not uh, formally articulated in the New Testament, um, you see this formulation come together in the New Testament um, because um, the first Christians, clearly Jews, worshipped one God, uh, took that very seriously, took the Shema, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. Um, yet here comes Jesus who makes the claim to be God, and in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And, um, and so Jesus clearly makes the claim to be God. As Thomas, when he says, My Lord, my God, Jesus doesn't correct him. And then you have uh, Jesus in the Last Supper in our Gospel reading even today speaking of uh, this spirit and God's presence in the midst of his perceived absence who reveals and draws us to Jesus to see that he is the fulfillment of all the scriptures so that in worshiping Jesus, we might actually be worshiping the Father in both spirit and truth. So you begin to see there's a pastoral dynamic here. Yeah. And, um, oh, Jake, and, can I say uh, one and, thing? Yeah, sure. Uh, on Easter 4, way back when, dear listeners, we would have talked about the 10th chapter of John in which Jesus says, I and the Father are one. And mm -hmm. uh, you don't get a clear expression. So Jesus knew exactly what he was saying. He knew as a good right. uh, uh, um, Jew that the, the Shema, the hero Israel, the Lord your God is one. For him to say, I and the Father are one, it was not some sort of, there's people that want to make that a kind of a statement that like Jesus is saying, I am at unity with all things, just like everybody is part of the divine spark or something like yeah, that. That's nope. That's not what a Jewish guy in the first century was saying at all. To say, I and the Father are one, is like saying, I and the Father are one. That's what it yeah. means. And um, and it's a claim to divinity. It's a claim to Godhead. Um, it's not, you know, I took some acid and I'm at one with the universe. It's, that's it's a, right. It's a... It's I and Yahweh are one, and so that's that's as you said, the Trinity is is some, sort of this thing that gets revealed over time in the Scriptures, and and that's those statements of Jesus are where we begin to see that really come through, and um, and of course the the sending of the Holy Spirit, which Jesus promises here, uh, makes that yeah. clear Although as well. Our opening reading from uh, the Old Testament. Uh, the book of Proverbs chapter 8 isn't very helpful in this regard. Um, it can cause actually a lot of confusion. Um, and so this is why it needs to be exegeted correctly. But you have almost uh, this articulation of wisdom as created and subservient to the Father and um, and subservient to God. I mean, it almost seems like Arianism in a profound level. Um, but uh, And actually some like Jehovah Witnesses actually point to this passage. And actually, Jake, would you define... Define Arianism for our uh, some of our listeners. Uh, no, I was just dropping a big word. I don't have any idea what it actually <laughs> means. But uh, <laughs> so why don't you do it? It doesn't. You know, mean, uh, Arianism. It, <laughs> Arianism is the teaching that uh, um, basically it came um, um, during. Uh, I, I believe it was the third century, right? And, yeah. Uh, but uh, with Athanasius. So Arian Arius was this like really cool hip. Um, essentially youth minister, worship leader. He wrote some great songs. He was very attractive. He would have been a regular on Preachers and Sneakers. Yeah. And um, he uh, basically started, wrote basically a song, essentially that um, uh, Jesus is less than the Father, but the greatest thing the Father ever created. And um, and man, uh, his teaching took off like wildfire. And uh, and here, um, but the, the idea was is that Jesus is the first created, the firstborn literally over creation. And um, 
and uh, was uh, less than the Father. That's right. And so there are a lot of people today that, that see Jesus that way, um, even if they wouldn't know the word Arianism or uh, articulate mm-hmm. it. They, um, yeah, they have this. And so from this passage in Proverbs 8, we have this verse. Um, again, it seems like it's just about wisdom and understanding uh, as it begins. Uh, but wisdom and understanding are often seen as sort of code words for um, wisdom for the Holy Spirit. Um, also, this idea of the logos in John 1, the the word of God, which is sort of like that great cosmic understanding of all yeah. things, that kind of thing. And so some people see this as pointing to the Spirit. Some people see this as pointing to Christ. But the difficult thing is in verse 22, the spirit slash wisdom slash understanding says, this personified wisdom says, the Lord created me at the beginning of his work. So again, the Old Testament writer, we can, uh, I think, safely assume, did not think that he was writing about the spirit or Jesus Christ as we now understand those things. So you don't want to hold this, you don't want to make this passage carry too much weight because if you do, Mm -hmm. then you end up as an Arian. Um, Nevertheless, if we yeah. kind of put that verse aside a little bit and say this is about this is sort of pre-Trinitarian or something, you can you can see yeah. some ideas that you can get out of here which are helpful. Such as Jake, what would you what would you say well, about I, Robert? You know, and I think that's I think you hit on a very important point: hermeneutics. You never interpret the minors. You never interpret the major through the minors. It's always the majors. The minors are interpreted through the majors. And so we do believe in one God in three persons. So and both have always all three have always been. Um, and so, yeah, this isn't this isn't the one line by which you use to deconstruct the entire doctrine of the Trinity. Uh, but this is um, you interpret the you interpret this passage through the Trinity, and so basically through this writer of the Book of Proverbs, um, the articulation here, especially comparison to the mountains and to the fields and to the earth, uh, to the soil, the heavens, all of these things are great and majestic and um, and what um, uh, and bigger than humanity. And uh, what what the the author of Proverbs is trying to get across here through this through this um, this beautiful poetry is that wisdom is timeless. Wisdom is actually before all of these things. And so this is kind of um, so if you're going to focus on this, you want to you want to focus on the timelessness and the majesty and the greatness of wisdom. Yeah. And the thing, too, is you get this picture of a this personified wisdom Um says that she was with um, with the creator at the beginning and that um, there was delight uh, in, in in a relationship between wisdom and the Lord, the creator. And uh, one of the things that the Trinity shows us is that relationship exists at the heart of the Godhead um, mm. and that... Uh, it, one of the ways that human beings are created in the image of God and reflect God's uh, image is the fact that we are relational beings. And uh, so that's that's one of the, you know, the, so at the heart of God, there is relationship. And there's this great icon of the Trinity, that old famous icon, um, which shows the three beings of the Trinity that look like, they look identical. You know, we have this wrong-headed idea of like God the Father on the big throne. And you can see pictures of this in old Bibles and old kind of church textbooks and things. The white man with the long beard on the top of the throne, Jesus sort of next to him, but a little bit lower. And the spirit is this dove hovering over them both. And that sort of 
unintentionally creates this idea that there's almost a hierarchy. And the mm. the icon of the Trinity shows no hierarchy. There's just three identical beings, both all looking sort of like young men, no beards among them. Um, they were not um, hipsters. They were just like you and me, Jake, shaven and and clean. Mm. And and then they and they're three sitting around a table and they're just sharing a meal. There's like a cup and a plate on the table. God is relational in God's very um, identity. And uh, and in that relationship, there's delight. I think that's yeah. a key word to focus on, you know, rejoicing in his inhabited world and delighting in the human race. And uh, really, this is um, ultimately what, um, what worship of the triune God is all about, is about God delighting in us because of the Son, and we, through the Spirit, delighting in God. Uh, because of the work of the sun. And uh, and uh, so um, you see all of this kind of coming together. So if I was going to preach on the Trinity via the passage of Proverbs, I wouldn't focus on like being created before the end of the world. The key word there is the uh, concept of delight. Yeah. And that and the love that is among the three persons of the Trinity is what spills out over into us, which very much connects us to Romans. Uh, chapter five. Before I say that, though, I want to. I, I would like. Do I have permission to to rant against uh, a liturgical change, Jake? Sure. Thank sure. you. We aren't. We aren't the ranty podcast anymore. Yeah, you? that's right. We've moved on. <laughs> but I do want to say what. Just there's a movement among some people who don't like the gendered language when referring to the Trinity of Father, Son, and Spirit. And there's mm. a desire to permission reframe. granted, right? There's um, which I understand why that's problematic. Yeah. But I think as we've said on this podcast as well inserting feminine language for God does not remove the problem because plenty of people have alcoholic moms and estranged moms and stuff like mm-hmm. that. So whether it's father or mother, you still got a problem. But I think the, so the way people solve that is they use the terms creator, redeemer, sustainer to refer to father, son, and Holy Spirit. The problem with it, it's theologically very dicey because now you've said that the father has a job and that's creation. The son has a job, which is redeeming, and the spirit has a job, which is sustaining us. And so it's almost like act one, act two, act three. That's right. And, um, you know, the father did his thing. Now he takes a backseat. Then the son did his thing. Now he takes a backseat. Now the spirit is sustaining us. And the wrong thing about that is that as Proverbs, this passage shows us is that the spirit and the son and Genesis one shows us this and John chapter one shows us this. All three persons of the Trinity are together at creation. All three persons of the Trinity are together in redeeming, and all three persons of the Trinity are together in sustaining us in our daily life um, yeah. with God and with one another. So you, you, it, they don't have different jobs. They're, God hmm. is one, and they're all doing these things together. So that's that's why, I mean, I realize there's an issue with language because it's limited and it's trying to describe God. Um but the creator, redeemer, sustainer thing, I think, subtly implies a heretical understanding of the Trinity. Absolutely. It's, that's called modalism, too. Exactly. So, that they shift so from us. one mode to another. Yeah. So Romans yeah. 5. Yeah. Uh, we're, uh, this, is a, this, is, this is where it begins to get, I think, personal and pastoral and connected. You know, why is the Trinity important? It's uh, for so many reasons. One of the things I always tell people is it's important because um, it's important that the that the Father is God and that the Son is God and the Spirit is God so that they have the power to save you and to be present with you um, in all things and to make your salvation real to you, to work out your sanctification. And all of it is possible because these, these persons of the Trinity are all fully God. And so we have in Romans, we're justified by faith and have peace with God 
through our Lord Jesus Christ. So now we've got two mm-hmm. persons of the Trinity. Um, it's not again. It's not just a doctrine we believe because it's an important thing to believe. We have peace with God through Christ, uh, mm-hmm. which is to say, we have we're beloved. We're 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 accepted. We're okay. We're enough. All of that um, through our Lord Jesus Christ. So so this is why this matters personally. Uh, and then mm-hmm. um, the at the end we see this. Um, beautiful verse in verse five, that God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. This, this, uh, The Holy Spirit is God working directly in your life in a sense that you can feel it and know it through your mind, through your emotions, through your surroundings. Um, the This is what the Holy Spirit um, does primarily in our life, points us to Christ, fills us with the love of God, reminds us of God's love for us. The Holy Spirit does not accuse. The Holy Spirit does not attack you. Um, the Holy Spirit reminds you of God's love. He pours it into your heart. Um, right. And that's that's why this matters. If the Holy Spirit is not God, the Holy Spirit is, in a sense, um, inefficacious, unable to do this work. If the Son is not God, he's unable to um, work out this peace that you have with the Father. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this is where, this is where uh, to me, Romans 5 is the passage that helps make it, helps me understand, okay, why is the Trinity important for me? That's right. Absolutely. It, I mean, this really, this is where the rubber hits the road. And I mean, I think you've said it all. I mean, it's, it's we have peace with God through Jesus, and uh, this becomes accessible to us, not by magic, but because of God pouring his spirit out. And to kind of fulfill the prophets, what the prophets had said about pouring um, his spirit out on not just one people, but upon all flesh. And so you and I are beneficiaries, and you and I become a part of this great story and are made God's people and uh, have a, and when, remember when, when Paul talks about peace here, this is, this essentially is a clear conscience. Um, And so, uh, you know, this is all made accessible um, by the Holy Spirit. And, uh, you know, as Paul once said, kind of the, the pastoral, Paul's all, the pastoral implications of the Trinity are this, the God who created you is the same God who saved you and is the same God who's with you uh, in your darkest hour and uh, leading you to that and giving you that peace. So, um, I mean, I really think that um, this is this Romans 5 here, verses 1 through 5, is the summation of the practical implications of the Trinity in a believer's life. Yeah, that's right. Uh, and then we end with John 16. Jesus, uh, in his long discourse to the disciples, this is his long speech um, before his arrest and crucifixion, and he's telling them that uh, he is going to send the spirit of truth, that, that that spirit will come and will guide you into all truth. Um, what do we learn about the Holy Spirit uh, in, in John 16, Jake? Go. Well, I think uh, several things. Uh, when the uh, uh, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. Um, and this is very important. I think there's a, you know, um, a lot of the times people approach pastors for advice and, uh, you know, and they want the pastor to lead them into all truth or righteousness, or you get like kind of um, Christians on their high horses who think that it's their job to lead people into all truth and righteousness. But the truth is, is that as Jesus says, this is, the spirit of truth comes and he will guide you into all truth. And so to really, I mean, to really pray for a person and to listen to them and hear them out 
and to trust that the Spirit's going to do work is a very Pentecostal moment, if you will. It puts a real emphasis, but um, this is the other thing. So one, he's going to guide people into all truth. Uh, truth. Uh, the second thing is, is that the Spirit isn't never doing his own thing. Mm -hmm. uh, the Spirit uh, will not speak on his own, but will speak whatever he hears, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. Uh, so that is the important thing, is that the Spirit never has his own word, but rather he declares uh, that which is to come, uh, which comes from the, proceeds from the Father and the Son. And then uh, the Spirit glorifies, uh, glorifies Jesus, uh, and, and that's exactly what he declares, yeah. you know, uh, uh, Jesus. So th that is an important point, and uh, I think a robust Trinitarian theology is important. And as I've seen, a lot of churches that are disconnected from this day and from the doctrine, you'll find them praying to the Holy Spirit, or there's a, like an overemphasis on just the Holy Spirit itself, or just an emphasis in the Father, and you know it gets all of the sentimental, sentimental daddy language. Um, and uh, the, the, but the truth is, is that the Spirit is always revealing Jesus, mm -hmm. is always revealing Jesus uh, so that we might hear what the Father is declaring. And so you see this all working because all that the Father has is mine. And for this reason, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Yeah. So the Holy Spirit is declaring a message. It's not his own message. It's the message of Jesus that comes right from the Father. That's right. I think, and you know, one of the things I like about being in the Episcopal Church is that our collects of the day, those prayers that we pray at the beginning of every service on Sunday, um, and every day of the week, actually, if you're doing the daily office, uh, they are always Trinitarian. It's sort of like mm -hmm. every day is Trinity Sunday in a sense, because mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. we say Almighty God... Um, is how we begin some appeal to God the Father. Um, and Holy then, and gracious Father, in your infinite love, you right. made us for yourself. And then we will mm -hmm. say at the end of the of every collect, through our Lord Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. So we affirm the Trinity, but this idea of um, addressing God the Father through Jesus Christ comes directly from Romans 5, verse 1. We we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And, um, and of course, then we have this idea from John chapter 16 of the Father. Everything the Father has belongs to Christ, and the Spirit takes that and makes it known to us. So you have all these things. Uh, again, as you said, the word Trinity isn't used in the New Testament, and the you know there's never Jesus sitting down and saying, "Okay, let me explain to you guys what the Trinity is." But you would not, you can't, you can't get a more Trinitarian statement than Jesus saying, "All that the Father has is mine," and He, um, the Father, will take what is mine and declare it to you through the Holy Spirit. Um, so it just it's, it's all woven together, and I, so I think. Uh, just as we sort of wrap this up here to the Trinity, which is a hard thing, and basically everybody gets it wrong uh, in one way or another, even if we know it intellectually, because it's hard to get our minds around it. But it, 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 uh, to me, it's a comforting doctrine because one, it means that God is bigger than my thoughts. Uh, it reminds me of the majesty and mystery of God. But it also very much connects me to the fact that, as you said, the same God who created me is the same God who saved me is the same God who's with me now. Um, and yeah, I can I I'll just wrap up. I mean, this is a wonderful sermon illustration that I've used from time to time. And uh, anybody listening, feel free to take it. But um, there uh, I once heard a story about um, and this was back in like the 30s um, in India and uh, a Hindu prince um, uh, 
became a Christian and uh, essentially um, in retribution for that, his father made him an untouchable. And um, and uh, the missionaries that, that, that were evangelizing the area were really blown away by this. And uh, because literally the guy went from like essentially a wealthy Raj to uh, to um, a, to a dollop, and he was completely untouchable. And uh, the missionaries asked him, they were like, "Why would you do such a thing?" And he said, "Well, because I've come to the belief that I cannot believe in immortal gods with mortal characteristics. Mm. I need an immortal God with immortal characteristics." Mm. And uh, the truth is, is that if you can figure out God, you may not want to worship <laughs> him. Um, and uh, the Trinity is this great mystery that we don't figure out, but we're invited to enter into. And uh, by being pulled into that, you're given the greatest comfort in the world, uh, because you see that God actually is profound enough to encompass your entire life. So uh, give them that and um, and maybe just sit down. Yeah. Trinity Sunday should be probably a short Sunday. Don't get into the hypostatic union and all of that nonsense. Um, leave that for the systematic theology textbooks. Just give them Jesus and sit yeah, down. Yeah, and, and, and to say that um, uh, when we see Jesus dying on the cross, for example, it's not the Father looking down powerless. That is God dying on the cross. When we see the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. descending at Pentecost, that's not, again, God the Father slingshotting a dove down and slingshotting some fire from heaven. Like, that that spirit is fully God. That is fully God mm-hmm. to indwelling the people. And mm-hmm. when we talk about the spirit living in us, which will be a big theme of the season of Pentecost and Trinity Sunday, it's not, and it's in our Eucharistic prayers, it's not, it's not, uh, you know, a little, a little piece of heaven coming, like, the Holy Spirit is God uh, and is with us. And I think that's powerful for people to know that you have been made so clean uh, and so pure and so holy apart from yourself because of what God has done in the resurrection of Jesus Christ and in his death, that you are now a fitting dwelling place for God, for God, the Holy Spirit. It's pretty amazing. Amen. So that's it. And never Amen. call the Holy Spirit it. That's all I want to say. It's it's a The Holy Spirit is a person. Uh, so you heard it here. It's not an it. Anyway, praise God. We'll see you all next week. Bye, Jake. Thanks for listening to Same Old Song, and we hope you found some nuggets that will be helpful either in your preaching or just in your life. If you like what you heard, we would love it if you could leave a rating or review on iTunes. Dave's all will be sad if you don't. We'd like to thank the Narrativo Group for audio production. Keep that Bible by your bedside, ready to rock and roll.